everyone, and welcome to Paralegal Tea Time. So Jess, what's the tea of the day? Hello, everyone. Today, we'll be discussing how the paralegal profession has changed over time, and we're excited to spill the tea with another fellow paralegal, our friend and colleague, Susan Hellman. Hi, Susan. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. It's really an honor that I'm invited. Thank you. Susan Hellman is the owner of Susan Hellman Paralegal Services, LLC, and also freelances for Melissa Acosta Paralegal Services, LLC. Susan's specialty has been in an estate administration and estate litigation, and also with estate planning. Uh, Susan has a law degree from Benjamin Cordozo School of Law and has been a paralegal for over 30 years. So, Susan, we thought you'd be a great addition to this discussion since you've had many years of experience as a paralegal and have seen many changes over the years, I'm sure. Um, I personally was very interested in hearing your perspective on this topic during our holiday luncheon this year. And so thank you for being here. Well, thanks again for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to our chat. So, Susan, we would like to give you the floor to just give us a brief little background on your career as a paralegal. Okay. So um, I, I'm going to give you the year I graduated from college, because then it would give us sort of a perspective of, you know, how things have changed over the decades. Um, I graduated from college, a small liberal arts college in 1981, and wound up working at a small litigation law firm that specialized in white collar criminal litigation. And during the early 80s, um, for those of you that were around or were old enough to remember, the SEC was cracking down on insider trading. So our firm really specialized in that area. Um, and Jessica, you would be interested in this. We did lots of appeals during that time. Oh, um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so um, it was very exciting. Um, the partners were all former U.S. attorneys. And um, everyone, uh, all the associates in the firm, there were only like five of them, um, they were all under the age of 30. So we really had a great time. I wore many hats in that firm. Um, you know, I used to, we could talk about this later, but I, I used to run down to court all the time and I knew all the court clerks. And um, anyway, from there, I wound up going to law school because I thought I knew, I would learn everything that I didn't know. Well, that really wasn't true. And I also knew that when I went to law school, that I was not going to be a litigator. That was just not my personality. Mm -hmm. I loved what I did when I was 21 years old working in the, the firm, but um, I knew that I wanted a family and I thought trust and estates area would give me more of a balance in my life. And so when I came out of law school, I started to work as a um, trust and estates attorney and didn't like the pressure. And I had other life issues going on. And I wound up going back to a firm, to a firm that specialized in trusts and estates. And I wasn't the only one with a law degree being a paralegal there. There was a CPA, there was somebody with their MBA. And um, so then from there on, I sort of, you know, worked in trusts and estates on and off. For all the years that I did work as a paralegal, and I'm still working as a paralegal with, um, you know, in trust and estates. Great. Okay. I find that I find trust and estates to be 
you know, a very rewarding area. So it, it's funny how you landed there and so did I. <laughs> right, right, right. And we could leave the, the pressure of litigation to Jessica. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, so we just have, you know, we just kind of want to delve into how things have changed um, since, you know, you started in, I guess, 1981, you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the past, last 30 plus years, um, you know, we've all seen a tremendous amount of progress in technology with, you know, computers, inter- internet capabilities. And I believe technology has made our jobs much easier. Yes. Um, how would you describe the working environment technology-wise when um, you began as a paralegal? Uh, well, you know, only yes, you know. only the secretaries had word processing. There were no computer, personal computers. Mm-hmm. You know, computers back then took like up the size of a desk or, you know, so there weren't computers. I think before. By the time I went to law school in the late 80s, people started having computers, but there a lot of the computers, they were more like electric typewriters that had a memory in them. They really weren't, you know, like a laptop or anything like that. Um, there were no cell phones. There were no computers. There were no scanners. Um, I was just thinking about one of the other things that I used to do, and Jessica, you will really appreciate this, and Mm -hmm. Melissa probably too, for any document productions you've done, bait stamping, when you stamped um, documents by hand for court litigation. (laughs) So let's say, um, you know, you were presenting some evidence, you and you had 100 documents, you would bait stamp um, plaintiff document 001, 002. And then, you know, inevitably somebody would call me and I would get mixed up and I would screw up the the stamping and I'd have to recopy the documents all over again and hand stamp them all over again. I remember, yeah, I remember, I was just thinking bait stamping. I remember doing stickers, like printing out stickers and I don't, I don't think we printed up stickers then. We just had the bait stamp. And then, then now copy machines can automatically bait stamp for you. And I actually just Googled it the other day because the word came up again. And there's actually where you scan your documents into your computer and within three minutes or three seconds, Mm -hmm. literally these documents are stamped for you and they could say whatever you want, plaintiff, defendant, you know, bait stamp. Um, Yeah. The Adobe program can do it now. It's great. Oh, there you go. Mm -hmm. So next time I need to bait stamp anything, I will let you know. (laughs) Show me how to do it. Um, You know, some of the other things I used to do at the firm, the first firm that I worked for, I was the librarian, big law books in the back. For those of you who don't know this, used to have supplements. They would update cases that may have been overturned or that were, um, uh, you know, they changed or were no longer considered law. So I would manage the library, which mm-hmm. every law firm used to have a huge law library in order to, um, you know, look up statues, look up cases, mm-hmm. and um, do research. Um, and again, I also, I had to do a lot of filings in the court personally. So I would go down to court many times a week just to file papers. And while I was down there, I would uh, be asked to copy other pleadings. I had a triage bag, which was mostly filled with dimes because I had to make copies Mm -hmm. and there were no cell phones. So I would have to find a telephone booth 
or call from the subway in the subway they used to have mm-hmm. phones and say this is what I found or this is what the judge said and um you know I got I got to know the clerks I had staple removers with me and staplers and mm-hmm. you know I had like my whole triage bag there to be a paralegal down in the courtroom in the clerk's office to get copies of what I needed or file what I needed and um the other thing was that most of the larger firms um, who had managing part managing attorney's office, most of those paralegals were men, were boys, were young men like my, you know, my age, because they didn't want to send women out into the subway. Mm-hmm. Well, I was a New Yorker, so I didn't care. I went to New Yorker. So not only did I get to file stuff, but I had a whole pool of men to date. that's great so that was fun I always liked going down to court it was all you never know that's wonderful well you know certainly that gives us a a big picture because nowadays for research we have LexisNexis Westlaw right you know uh and um for you know, instead of using typewriters, we have computers, scanners, um, cell phones. Yeah, right. obviously, instead of phone booths, we have uh, cell phones. Um, so, yeah, totally. Um, and instead of um, a library supplement, we can just look that up, obviously, uh, um, on the um, LexisNexis. And we also have e-filing with the courts. Yeah. Right. Um, instead of sending someone physically to the courthouse. Um, so that's always file. right. You know, e filing. <laughs> yeah. So a lot has changed. Wow. It really uh puts things in perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember in my first firm, I I remember that this was back in the early two thousands. I mean, one person had the internet on their computer and we'd all have to like be like oh I gotta look up directions can I I use your computer like and you know and also you know all your documents were just like on your computer and you Mm -hmm. depended on paper so much and everyone just had their own documents there was no like server to you know as a as a firm-wide you know database to share Um, files sure you couldn't yeah yeah had to go to the hard file Yeah. yeah Yeah, I just remember the typewriters and definitely using typewriters, uh, especially for um, certain court, for, you know, surrogate court forms, mm-hmm. um, typing up with the typewriter. Those were fun days. <laughs> <laughs> right. You made a mistake. You do it all over again or use that whiteout. You know? Yeah. The whiteout <laughs> was our friend. The whiteout was our friend. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Susan, time to spill some more tea and give us the juicy stuff that we're looking for. Okay. You've already given us quite a bit, though, especially with the 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 dating uh, comment oh. there. That's, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> okay, so without naming names, what was the social environment like when you first began as a paralegal? Uh, like, for me, 23 years ago... Um, you know, with the big firms, um, and now fast forward, um, did you think, you know, did you ever think there'd be four Supreme Court judges, women, 
Um, did you ever think that the law firms, the you know, the big firms now would have so many female partners and shareholders? Uh, you know, things have come like a long way um, right. yeah. uh, with women. Uh, I know you mentioned that there were a lot of uh, male um, paralegals because um, of the courthouse um, subway issues. So you did reference it in a way um, back then. Um, so, you know, what is your perspective um, on this issue? That's a great question. And actually, uh, somebody recently had asked me about uh, the Supreme Court justices and, you know, where was I when Sandra Day O'Connor was appointed, who was the first woman on the court? Uh, and actually, I looked it up and she was appointed in 1981 by Reagan. And um, it wasn't until 13 years later that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 1993, was appointed. So, you know, I to really be honest with you, until I got to law school, I probably didn't think about it that much. I probably remember my mother saying, wow, look at this. Isn't this great? You know, yeah. what was on the court. Now we have six, five women on the court. Well, four women on the court four, since yeah. we before. Um, but now it's kind of common. It's, you know, acceptable. Um, and I think that was the same in law firms where most of the partners and most of the attorneys were male. But by the time I got to law school, I would say it was about 60-40. I mean, it was pretty even women and men. And it was just much more, it's become just, you know, commonplace that women are accepted as partners, as attorneys, and are open to any field and to do anything they want, which mm -hmm. is, is really um Really interesting. I mean, I definitely think there was, you know, an old boys network, um, you know, in 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 law firms, and it was harder to break in. Um, but I would say by the time the late 80s to early 90s, I think strides, great strides were me, being made mm -hmm. for women, um, you know, in that way. Yeah, I, you know, when I got out of college in, you know, the early 2000s, and I guess, you know, the law firms that I was exposed to, you know, where I worked or where I was familiar with, it did seem, you know, definitely a majority men or the attorneys, maybe one or two females here or there. And, you know, the, the females were the support staff and right. just, just coming out of college, it was like, wow, this is quite a big divide here. And, uh, you know, I, it's good to see that things are you know, progressed and changed and everything. Jessica, do you think that um, being a litigation paralegal that you saw more men in litigation than women? Because I, I think I sort of have. I mean, I don't, I still think, I still think litigation is dominated by men. Maybe I'm wrong, but that, that has been my perspective. Um, I guess it depends on the firm, you know, mm -hmm. the ideals of the firm. Um, I personally work for, um, it just, well, not all women, but the majority I work for are women, mm -hmm. which I guess, I don't know if they're more, you know, into the freelance thing, but um, mm -hmm. I do, mm -hmm. I guess I do feel like it has come a long way, at least, you know, um, right. what I've been exposed to and it's been great. Yeah. 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 I see a lot of, um, you know, uh, department chairs, uh, you know, being women nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
I definitely see a lot of change uh, compared to 23 years ago when I first started. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, a lot of women making big moves. Yeah, it's great. Wonderful. It's very admirable because I still think the burden of childcare is still primarily on women. Mm -hmm. And so I just admire so many of these women who have been able to juggle everything. That's, I know, I totally agree. (laughs) And I think there's also like a women's lawyer association. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of support in the community. True. Uh, There's a lot of resources, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. tips, and uh, a a lot of definite uh, big time support for partners and leadership roles, Mm -hmm. things like that. Right. All right, Susan. So, um, we're going to go into kind of the relationship between our business relationship between attorneys and paralegals, kind of how, I guess, you know, how you would measure the respect level, um, that kind of thing um, compared to then to now. Right. Um, you know, I think, um, I, I think that some of the, I want to talk about now, I think, and then go back. Um, I think, you know, many of the law firms now, almost all the law firms, small or large, have very, um, have HR departments. Mm -hmm. And these HR departments are very much protective of their employees. And there are rules in place for diversity for, I don't know how to say that, uh, sexism, mm-hmm. for ageism, for healthcare, for HIPAA, for all kinds of rules that are now um, required by the law to be implemented. So that, I think, has been a really good step for all employees to mm-hmm. have those protections. Um, and they're, you know, just certain things that have to be done. On the other hand, you know, stepping back, and especially I was at mostly large, uh, small to medium-sized firms, there weren't as many of those kind of rules in place. I happen to be very lucky that I worked for a lot of really nice gentlemen, and I was never subjected, and I never really heard about any problems with Um, inappropriate behavior in that way. Maybe I was naive and maybe it did exist, but, um, you know, I can remember in a small firm, you know, if one of the partners came by and touched me on the shoulder, it was in a very paternal or mentoring way. But today I don't think a partner, a male partner would touch a paralegal and, and say that. Mm-hmm. I just don't, you know, it's just, um, there are more restrictions, but there also are more protections for uh, the employees. Is that sort of what you were looking for? Um, yeah, and I, I agree. I'm in the employment law field and that uh-huh. and New Jersey, you know, is great. It has so many laws that protect employees. And, um, you know, I think everyone has had to conform to you know, to those laws and it really has protected, um, you know, all employees and, you know, helped, helped build more professional relationships and, 
you know, mm-hmm. hold people accountable for, you know, their actions. And thank you. Those are the right are. words. Yeah. Yeah. Accountability. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is great information for our listeners. So thanks, Susan. You're really putting things into uh, a great picture for our listeners, you know, uh, taking us, you know, back then and, you know, and giving us a, a glimpse on how everything was. So this is great. Mm-hmm. Um so do you think attorneys rely more on paralegals in 2022 compared to 30 years ago? What's your take on that? Oh, I, I definitely think so. And I think you guys have touched on this in your prior podcasts as well. Um, I think, you know, paralegals 30 years ago were, it was kind of a new career. And often, I think a lot of paralegals, I was lucky, I was not subjected to this, but were used as legal secretaries in many ways. And certainly some of my require some of my um you know requirements of my job did require some you know delivery services to the court, which I liked, but also some secretarial things. I think you know you guys have mentioned this word before in your prior podcast, and that is paralegals have grown to be autonomous that we have become specialized in our fields. We're given autonomy. I think attorneys have seen the value of a well-educated paralegal. And, you know, in some of the medium-sized firms that I've worked for, there have been brown bag lunches on complicated tax issues because the better trained and educated that we are as paralegal, the more autonomous we can become. The cost of doing business for attorneys, they have a tremendous overhead these days. And, um, you know, the more they can delegate to us and charge that to a lower rate for the client, the client's going to be happier and their profit will be greater if they can have it done by a, um, a, lo- or a lower billable rate person than themselves at a high billable rate. Yeah, I certainly agree. I think uh, 23 years ago, you know, I would see partners be more conservative about the types of assignments they would give paralegals, Mm -hmm. you know, in the T&E field. And um, because, you know, now rates, billable rates are competitive, um, you know, I think they do give more work to the paralegals and rely more on paralegals and, um, they see the paralegal worth and uh you know i i definitely agree with what you said mm-hmm. yeah and i guess in my own experience you know early in my career i felt there weren't i don't maybe i wasn't exposed to it but i just felt like there were more legal secretaries and they were performing more of the paralegal work and you know they weren't really given the title of paralegal even though they were mm-hmm. um you know, doing that work. And probably and get, weren't compensated for it either, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think it has become more specialized and, um, you know, a more competitive field and more with more opportunities. Right. All right, Susan, um, it sounds like you've been listening to the podcast. So in our last episode, um, we discussed the salaries of paralegals. Um, so have you seen a, a dramatic change um, in what paralegals can earn? Oh, of course. And you guys have, you know, discussed this in your prior podcast too. Um, 
all right, so I'm going to give you, you know, the juicy tea thing that you want. <laughs> so, and that is, I'll tell you, when I first started at the age of 21, 22, I made $20,000. But, you know, that was sort of the going rate, even at the, you know, white shoe firms down on Wall Street. Um, but here's the difference. The difference was that for $20,000, I was able to have a one-bedroom apartment, which I shared with a roommate. I was able to order my lunch in. I was able to buy new clothes for my office for work. And I was able to pay my rent. Wow. So it's more, I think the change has been more of a cost of living. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think $20,000 would have sustained me very long for a, you know, a career at that rate. Mm -hmm. But I think certainly paralegal salaries now can afford um, a lifestyle, a career that's, that is sustainable and which you can live on. So I think it's more of a cost of living thing that I experience than perhaps, you know, I mean, $20,000 sounds like nothing and it was peanuts, mm -hmm. but the cost of living was such that I was able to live on it. Yeah, definitely. Tightly. tightly like you know, you, yeah. It sounds like you did a lot. That's great. Yeah. It was tight, you know, but it's, that's when you're, when you're in your twenties, it's supposed to be that way. So, you know, so I think, um, yeah, I think it's more about inflation or, you know, cost of living. Right. Um, I mean, I can speak for myself. I mean, I, when I first started out, it was peanuts as well. <laughs> um, but I mean, I definitely think there's more opportunities for higher salaries since, you know, 20 years ago. And, you know, our previous guest, Jonathan Friedman, was talking about six figure salaries are right. quite, quite common from what he's seeing. So mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. that's amazing. It's terrific. It's yeah. really terrific. Mm -hmm. and and that goes along with, you know, the specialization and autonomy that paralegals are have today. Right. Yeah, that's totally wonderful. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and like you said, it all depends on the state and the area of law. But, you know, definitely you have to be a go-getter and, um, you know, definitely um, go for it. Mm -hmm. um, here's a juicy one. Um, what is the most outdated rule that your prior law firm had 30 years ago that, you know, it's no longer needed in your opinion for a current paralegal to succeed in a law firm setting in 2022? Huh. Well, I think you touched on a lot of it, like, you know, with doing research online as opposed to going to the library or e-filing or things like that. Um, you know, all the technology parts that, you know, you have to be proficient in that in order to succeed. Um, I think, you know, I, as I said, it was a litigation firm that I worked for. We went to court a lot. I never would have thought about wearing pants to the office or pants to court. Now, no one ever said to me, you couldn't. Now, certainly when I came in on Saturday, I would wear my jeans, you know, if, if they were preparing for trial or we were moving files around or something, but I just never thought about it. I always dressed as though I would be going to court because I never knew if I would be or not. 
So, you know, I always had my pearls and my scarf on and mm -hmm. gloves for the subway, very old fashioned. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> but no, I don't, you know, I don't really, uh, but, you know, I think by the time I got out of law, even when I got out of law school, early 90s, I think people, I think women still wore, you know, skirts to, to the office. I don't remember people wearing pants. Hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that. I think that there was an old policy 23 years ago about hosiery in the summertime or something. Yeah, like really? And, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in, in in connection with that also, you know, some firms have been more casual now in 2022 where there's dress down Fridays or, you mm -hmm. know, denim day for charity um, you know, where they charge maybe $5 and donate it to a charity of choice, um, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and everyone gets to wear denim on Fridays or, you know, a lot of the large law firms do that. Um, and I think it's great, you know, that now things are a little more laxed and more casual per se, mm -hmm. um, where I think in the past, maybe it was a bit more strict, maybe I'm not sure if that's maybe more formal. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, you know, and again, this is just my experience, but right. um, yeah. that's just based on my perspective, based on, you know, where I've been, but um, you know, I think nowadays it's more, you know, you know, a lot of firms are working hybrid. So now they can't really tell you <laughs> about yeah. what to wear. <laughs> yeah. I've heard, um, I've heard of a large firm that has done kind of a, a it's like quote unquote, my day uh, dress code. It depends on what you have going on that day. And, you know, you still have to look presentable, but I, I feel, I think they can wear jeans if they're just going to be sitting in their office. Yeah. A lot of firms do really, you know, interesting, really, really great things like, um, you know, um, they change it up. And, and I think that's awesome for 2022. Mm -hmm. As opposed to 23 years ago or 30 years ago, I don't think any of that was, was, you know, going on. Right. right. Now we just have a landfill of unused clothing that we don't need anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, this has been great, Susan. Well, thank you. It has been fun. Thanks. Yes. And Susan has definitely given us and our listeners some great perspective on how things have changed. And when we think our jobs are overwhelming, we can... Think back as paralegals and see that we have come a long way as a profession. Right, right. Yes, thank you, Susan. And also Thanks. at the end of each episode, we like to talk about our favorite tea that we're drinking or sampling each week since we are paralegal tea time. Okay. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite tea that you would like to share? Well, I, um, you know, I... I, in, in college, I drank so much tea that my dentist told me I was staining my teeth. So I switched to decaf at that point. Um, so I have um, my new drink of choice when I don't want tea, but I want something warm. It's hot lemonade. So I fill the bottom of a cup with my favorite honey and add some hot water and lots and lots of lemon slices and clumps. Mm. And it tastes like hot lemonade. You can make it as sweet as you want. But when I really need tea tea, I use either the Republic of Tea, which comes in beautiful canisters, mm. and, or Yogi, the Yogi brand of tea, which is organic. And they have it for throat, for your stomach, for relaxation, for sleep, all different kinds. Mm. But 
Sounds yummy. Sounds great. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Finally, before we go, we'd like to leave our listeners with the top three tips of the episode called Today's Tea. This will be focused on three ways you can help the paralegal profession to keep progressing forward. Be an integral part of your firm. In fact, be indispensable to your firm. Make your attorneys think you could not live, they could not live without you. That's number one. Number two, educate yourself and encourage your firm to utilize new technologies to bring the firm up to speed. This will make you more valuable in being able to execute these technologies for the firm. And number three, join your local NJSBA or Paralegal Association. And Jessica and I would like to give two special shout outs in today's episode. Jess, take the floor. (laughs) Okay, my little shout out is for my son, JT, who made student of the month this month and for his middle school. Yay! Rock star. And my special shout out is for the Christina S. Walsh Breast Cancer Foundation. This is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, October, and we should all be our own advocates and uh, schedule our mammograms and absolutely health conscious about our own health. If you would like to find out more about this charity and or make any donations, the website is www.christinaswalshbcf.org. And once again, thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. Tune in next week when our topic will be taking the leap. Should I become a freelance paralegal? Thank you, Susan, for joining us and providing us. Thank you. It's really fun. Thank you. (laughs)